I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 through 13. I'll get a little bit of housekeeping we're going to do before this. Today is uh, graduation day for our Apollo 16 class. And I know we've got a lot of graduates here that didn't get the memo on uh, wearing our stole, but we'd like to stand in unity with these people that are finishing up their work. So I've got some extra stoles over here, and I'm going to ask you if you have graduated from Apollos, if you will come up and take one. And it's not just to stand in unity, but after the service, we're going to have a picture of all of our Apollos graduates together. So, thank you. Don't be shy. Yeah, you didn't get to pick your color. Jonathan, good to see you. Bob. Thank you. Apollos began in 2004, actually our first class graduated in 2005, that was the year I became senior pastor here. Our invitation letter that went out to that first group and we were trying to explain to everybody what the program was, there was a program that we offered uh, about 10 years before that that was called Apollos. Um, I don't want to confuse the two programs, they were very different, one was a public speaking course, uh, the other one was a studying equipping course. Well, I just couldn't find a better name for the course than Apollos, because Apollos was a man who was well-studied in the Word of God, but had the opportunity to go deeper when he met Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, So we called it Apollos. But our invitation letter said this, Our intention in offering this class is to help those who want to go deeper to do so. Our heart's desire is to see the brethren equipped to properly examine and present the Word of God. We want to do some serious study and we want to have a good time while a small group of people move forward together in their commitment to understand and proclaim the Word of God. Now, I think we've accomplished that. You can talk to some of the graduates to see if we did. The whole class was based on the inspired, divine, powerful, and eternal Word of God. Now, the, the approach has changed over the last couple years. Uh, We've moved from uh, uh, hard copy resources to online resources because they're so abundant and so easy to get and a lot less expensive. But the the content may have changed a little bit, but the emphasis has not. And it's always been on reading and understanding God's Word on going a little bit deeper than we are. And the deeper we go, the more we find that there's even deeper to go. It's a little bit like an onion skin. So, early candidates kind of wondering what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. I think that first class was, what were we, 20 weeks, Peter? You were there. 20 weeks or so. We pared it down to 10 sessions uh, over the last couple years or so. We're a bit more efficient and a bit more focused. But we had one candidate in that first class that asked a sincere question. Uh, he, he said, and we're going to kind of take a look at this today, but his question was, why... Is the word of God so important? Now, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to challenge us. He was trying to say, what, you know, I can feel this inside. 
Why, why do I have this feeling about the Word of God? So our sermon today is right out of Hebrews, and hopefully our passage will help us answer that question, and it's called Living Active, Sharper, and Piercing. So for our answers, we look at the book of Hebrews, the passage that we're in. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move around through the first four passages of Hebrew uh, this morning, but we're going to end up right there in chapter 4. So th- our passage reveals five supernatural aspects of the living Word of God. Number one, it's alive. Number two, it is active. Number three, it is sharper and it is piercing, and finally, it's able to judge. Now, those are some scary words. And when you pick up the Bible, this is what you're picking up. Those five aspects of what God has to share with us. So let me give you some background on Hebrews, uh, which has a lot to say about the Word of God. Uh, the overall theme of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. But it uses Scripture to establish that. So uh, the Parts leading up to our passage today uh, show an amazing progression uh, as we go deeper and deeper into the Word. And it's right there at the beginning of Hebrews 1.1, we see this. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. He appointed heir of all things through Him also He made the world. Now we could spend a couple years meditating and and diving deep into these two verses right here. But for now, suffice it to say that Hebrew starts out with a basis of the Word of God and how we got it. It came through the prophets. It's talking about the Old Testament. But it also came through His Son. The prophets spoke of Jesus. This is what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. The prophets were talking about Jesus. John's gospel tells us Jesus is his word. Now that gets, that gets a little complicated. That gets, I mean, isn't the Bible... I'm going to hold up my electronic version. Okay, sorry. Isn't the Bible his word? Well, Hebrews says it's his son... And what we should read from this is between what was said in the Old Testament and everything that was written in the New Testament and the advent of Jesus Christ that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, that's a challenge for some of us. That's a challenge for some of us because a lot of us read the Bible to find out about who? About ourselves. If you've been with me for a while, you know that we talk about this frequently. The Bible is about God. The Bible is the story of the character and nature of God and His plan of redemption for those who believe in Him. It's also the story of judgment against those who do not believe in Him. It's about God. It is His self-revelation to His creation which came about through His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's how chapter 1 starts. Chapter 2 says this, Hebrews 2.1, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Don't drift away from the Word. We remain anchored to the Word. And again, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, the writer is emphasizing the importance and the vital nature of God's Word. Of our not just hearing it, but heeding it. Listening to it. 
walking in it, obeying it, allowing it to form around us, allow it to form us. And we're supposed to heed all of it. Now, you know how I feel about the Old Testament. We're in the middle of a series about today's uh, lessons for, from the OT. So, you know, we have a tendency, the church right now has a tendency to minimize the importance of the Old Testament. But there's other things going on that we need to be aware of. Because there are those that would teach us that there are vast portions of Scripture that don't apply to us because they're for unbelievers. Nothing could be sillier. I mean, what does an unbeliever have to do with Scripture? The only way we respond to Scripture is by what? what the Holy Spirit moving in us. There are no parts of the... There might be some passages in the Bible that are about unbelievers and their fate, but it's all written to us so that we will understand the character and nature of God. The whole Bible is written to us as God's self-revelation to his people. So when somebody says to you, oh, you, that doesn't apply to us, you know, the Old Testament is minimized. Uh, certain pe- pe- uh, passages in First and Second John don't apply to us. There are whole areas of Hebrews that don't apply to us. This doesn't apply to us. That doesn't apply to us. We're just tearing pages out of the Bible. Don't need to read that. I'm already in. So we need to understand the full counsel of Scripture. Then in chapter 3, we see this. Chapter 3, starting with verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the days of trial in the wilderness. Talking about right after the Exodus. Where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, those who refuse to listen to the word of God, those who refuse to allow it to shape them and conform them, will not find his rest. Now I want you to hold on to that, mo- that, that, that idea we're going to revisit it in just a few minutes. And all this that we see in chapter 1, 2, and 3 seems to be confirmed as we move into the first few verses of chapter 4. So it's easy to see that Hebrews places this very high value on the Word of God. The first four chapters sets us up for the passage that we're looking at today. Two verses that can alter your life. Two verses that can change all of eternity. Two verses that can reach down into your heart and rip it apart and put it back together in a new and exciting way. So Hebrews 4.12 says this. And, and here's why we find out why these words are so important to the writer of Hebrews. Why the Word of God is so vitally important to him that he would write a book that starts out with all this that explains the, uh, the supremacy of the of Jesus Christ in all things. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If that doesn't make you just a little bit apprehensive, you're probably sleeping right now. It's a beautiful verse. It tells us a lot about the Bible. It tells us a lot about the Word of God. 
it tells, it tells us why it's so important to not just read it, but to understand it as well. So look at the first phrase. It is living. It is a living word. There's something unique about the scriptures. And if you spend any time in the Bible, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. They are alive. They are dynamic. They are breathing. They're spoken by the voice of God. These are God's words that we're looking at when we open up the Bible. They're not dictated, but they're spoken into the hearts of those people he chose to write these things down. They're emerging from the hearts and the minds of the authors, maintaining their personality. They're not sitting there going, I'm sorry, God, I didn't get the last phrase. Could you, write, could you repeat it again? There's something supernatural and miraculous happening in the inspiration of the Word of God. And we believe that every word is inspired. Now, think about that, and then think about this. The Word of God has taken on flesh. We call it the incarnation. John says this in his gospel, in in the first verse of the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's pretty esoteric, okay? But down 13 verses later, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is heady. I mean, we talk about the incarnation, and it, it kind of rolls off our back, like, oh yeah, Jesus, word became flesh. But understand this, it's, it's, not, it's not a concept It's not an idea floating out there in the ether. It's not a philosophy. It's not even an ideal. The Word became flesh. It became a person. God made a statement when He took on flesh. And what He said to all of creation was, not only will I intersect with this world physically, I will save it. I will be the resource of salvation for those who come to me. And there's no other way to survive this creation than through me. And I'm giving you my son to make this happen. So when we say the the word is living, it is because it has taken on flesh and it's alive. Jesus ascended physically into heaven. He didn't float away as a spirit or a ghost. The word become flesh is alive. And the Bible, see now, we're not talking about, oh, there's some mysterious thing about this book. The Bible's here to introduce us to the reality of the living word. The only place that we can find out about this word become flesh, the only place that we can find out about the character and nature of God is by reading our Bible. Oh, testimonies are fantastic. I love when people share their testimonies. We're going to hear one a little bit from Mark. I love when we share what's going on in our lives. I mean, that's that's how we encourage each other. The only learning we're ever going to do, you don't even learn from me, brothers and sisters. Somebody say amen to that. The only reason you learn anything from me is because I'm talking about the Bible. When I stop talking about the Bible, Peter needs to get a hook and pull me off the, off the stage here. He's actually threatened to do that a couple of times. I listen. 
Word of God is not just living. It is active. It is moving. Perhaps the author of Hebrews was thinking about Psalm 95 when he wrote this line, when he wrote about finding our rest in God. I told you we'd come back to this. Psalm 95, starting with verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. And they said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they should not enter my rest. Do you see, do you see what the writer of Hebrews saw in this? He saw exactly what the psalmist was trying to tell us. The one thing that we're looking for in life, the one thing that all of us are searching for and need the most is found in surrendering ourselves to the Word of God. Surrendering ourselves to the voice of God. It's found in His words. In other words, His words can actively lead us where? Where where, where do we want to go? I mean, in a day like today, maybe not exactly this morning, but in an environment like we're experiencing right now, we frequently think we'd rather be somewhere else. Where? Brothers and sisters, we want peace. The Word of God can lead us into that peace, can lead us into that rest that we desperately need. This is what salvation is all about. Rest in Him. Rest and trust in God. Rest from the world, not rest to the world. Rest from all the battles in the world, the daily ones and the huge ones and the eternal ones. Rest from the battle, from the battle in ourselves. Paul talks about that battle, doesn't he? In Romans 7. Spirit is strong, flesh is weak. Why do I do the things I, I don't want to do? We can find rest from our own sin. And we can find that in the Word of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. The Word of God can actively bring us into that rest, can actively introduce us to the peace of God. And it does this by leading us to God. Then by helping us in our sanctification. We just had a great catechism about sanctification and justification. And the great thing about it is, once that word is written in our heart, once we repented from our sins, confess that we've done wrong and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that word will remain active in us forever. Throughout all eternity. We don't lose it. It doesn't go away. We try and ignore it not real helpful but it stays with us forever so it's not only living not only active but the word of God has power look at how powerful it is it's not just alive it is sharp sharper than any sword any two-edged sword which cuts two ways this is incredibly sharp and it's able to pierce our souls it's able to pierce our spirits It's able to cut out those things that are keeping us from a deeper relationship with God. It's able to excise the parts of us that are diseased. It's able to amputate them from our souls and cleanse our hearts 
and bring us closer to God. That's pretty sharp. Well, not only cleanses our hearts by cutting out what the Bible calls dross, the extraneous stuff that does us no good, the stuff that keeps us away from God, the Word breaks our hearts. It drives us to our knees. It helps us to understand how desperately we need salvation. It helps us to understand how we should be grieving over our sin, not accepting it and explaining it away, but confessing it. God grants us repentance so that we can be rid of this burden in us. It removes all the barriers to that, causes us to confront and grieve over our sin, and ushers us into a deeper relationship with the one who created us. This is why Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, read man, woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So much for the idea that there are some passages that don't apply to me. You see what happens when we start looking at the full counsel of God? All of a sudden we recognize the errant teaching that's been poured into us. The Word of God is active, it's alive, it has power, and it does all of its work by judging our hearts. Oh, we don't like that word. Judging. And, and I, think, I think it scares us because when we hear that we're going to be judged or our hearts are going to be judged, we're going to think, oh, I'm going to get kicked out of heaven. I did something wrong yesterday and now God's going to judge me and he's going to say something similar to, yes, my grace is sufficient, but not over this. Yes, my son made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, but I didn't know you were going to do that. You stole penny candy from the drugstore. The word judges our hearts not to condemn us, brothers and sisters, but to bring us closer to him, to remove those impediments. It shows our imperfection. It shows and demonstrates our inability to save ourselves. We can't dig ourselves out of that hole that sin has created and we committed the sin. It reveals the true nature of our hearts. And in judging them, our hearts are pierced. Broken and pierced. Cut by a two-edged sword and run through by the Word of God. What? Why do we need it? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand, John. I'm a new creature. I've got a new heart. That was the old man. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It's the first kind of trouble. You begin thinking you don't have to worry about sin. But Jeremiah says this. Listen, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Nothing has changed since Jeremiah wrote these words. Our hearts are deceitful. 
And verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. What Jeremiah is saying is, if you don't have a way out of the sins that you've committed, you're going to die in them. Now, what Jeremiah didn't know was that God was going to send his son to cover those sins. Our hearts are deceitful. The only thing that can rescue us is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. Yes, we do have new hearts. But what were the words? Sanctification is ongoing. You know, our hearts aren't perfect yet, brothers and sisters. And the first sign of that might be when you think it is. They'll be perfected. Why? Because we're justified. We're declared righteous by God. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, you're going to admit that at least one time today and maybe several times yesterday, you weren't so righteous. Well, I thought God said I was righteous. Yes, righteous based on the completed work of Christ on the cross, not based on your behavior. So if we understand that, we begin to understand what? Grace. Grace. It's not a license to do whatever we want to do. It rescues us from being ourselves. The world tells us to follow our hearts. But you know what? That's a self-centered thought, isn't it? It's a self-consuming thought. It, it gives us the things we desire. His Word transforms us. His Word brings us into a new life. And that new life means that more and more we desire what God desires, not what we desire. The Word should sanctify us, should make us a little holier every day. See, the Word doesn't just uncover our sin. It reveals the fact that we are self-indulgent that we are self-centered. It judges us by showing us the error of our ways and it puts us on the right path and it transforms us. Instead of people who long to satisfy ourselves, with each coming day, we long more and more to please God in how we live this life out. And here's a surprise in all this. Because there are people that will hear this out there that go, Oh, I don't believe in him. That doesn't apply to me. Or, I mean, you've heard this before. When I get to heaven, God's got a couple questions he's going to have to answer. Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to be around that moment. Here's a surprise. Hebrews 4.13. And no creature... Oh, wait a minute. What did he say? No creature... I'm sure he meant some creatures. I'm sure he meant, well, no, he's talking about animals. He's not talking about men and women. Certainly not talking about me. But no creature is hidden from his sight, and all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's nothing on earth, nothing created that moves, on the land or on the sea or in the air that is not subject to God's sight and not under His judgment. Everything, all things are exposed to the scrutiny and the judgment of God. Boy, we need to get our arms around this. And whether we like it or not, whether we believe in Him or not, one day, every one of us will stand before Him and answer for ourselves. And the only answer that's going to deliver anybody from the wrath of God 
is I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. What do we do about that? We will all stand before the Maker of the universe. Answer for the things we've done against Him. Answer for all of our sins. Man, that's going to be an ugly day for some people. Not if we listen to the Word of God. Not if we did what it said to do. Not if we believe that God provided salvation for us and we confessed our need for that. Could that be true? Could it be that simple? I mean, could our eternal destinations rest on a simple confession of repentance and faith in Christ? Yes! Yes, it can. It is that simple. Because the Word is living, it's active, it's sharper, it pierces and it judges and it applies to everyone. We know that's true. We know it's true because the Word became flesh and He will inherit everything. See, this is another one of those things that we need to, to understand completely. He will inherit everything. Hebrews 1.1 God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers of the prophets in many portions and many ways, in His last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Now, why would God do that? Because through Him also He made the entire world. Christ owns everything. He owns everyone. Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created, will have authority and power and dominion over all things. Nobody gets a buy because they didn't believe. As a matter of fact, that kind of seals your fate. Every grain of sand, every ocean, Every person who ever lived belonged to Jesus Christ. Ooh. Had somebody tell me I'm not comfortable with that. And the only thing I can answer is, you think you're uncomfortable now? Revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the fullest, most perfect expression of God's love towards us, God's love towards His children, the revelation of His only Son, and our salvation is found in the Word of God, in the Bible that we place such a high value on. And we can't find it. We can't find it anywhere else. It doesn't come from any other source. So our candidate in Apollos asked, why it was having this impact on his heart. Why did it strike me so deeply? He was awestruck by the weight and the importance when he read his Bible and how the Spirit moved inside him. And he wanted to know how and why it had such an incredible impact upon him. You know, he wrote me not too long ago. He's in ministry. He said, I think I know the answer. I've been struggling with this for years. At least I know part of it. I think I know why the Word of God is so incredibly important. 
And it's right there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, which is right after the first two verses that we've been talking about. That Jesus Christ, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. Christ is the word. He's graciously given it to us in a language that we can understand so that we can be drawn closer to God and conform to His image. This is why... This is why we believe Apollos is important. It's why we stand there and conduct these classes as often as we can. We want to help people understand how important the Word of God is. In so many ways, it's just a book. People get upset if you lay it on the floor, a page falls out. In so many ways, it's just a book. It's paper that was manufactured print that was set up <laughs> recently digitally technology to put the word of God together but nothing seems to be able to mitigate the incredible presence it has in our lives that's because it's living and active and sharper and piercing and able to judge so we're going to graduate our Apollo 16 class they have worked hard We'll introduce all of them to you in just a few minutes, but right now I'd like you to meet one of them. It's Mark Brown. Mark's going to share with us some of the things he learned in Apollos. Bless you, brother. One of the things we get to do in the Apollos classes, to one of the first meetings, is to pull a passage out of a hat. And then that becomes your final paper. And uh, the passage I pulled out was the first chapter of James, verses 2 to 11. It goes like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, for who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James 1, 2-11. Count it all joy. To some of us, it comes across as a bit rough and lacking in compassion. It's like going to the doctor and saying, it hurts when I do this, only to hear, then don't do that. <laughs> or looking for advice from a friend, I'm weighed down and anxious, only to have the friend reply, 
then stop. Stop? Yeah, you know, knock it off. Enough already? Just, well, stop it. But let's grab hold of the verse, not as a textbook command, but let's seek out the reasoning behind why we would find joy amid earthly circumstances that would beat us down. It was back in the days of Nehemiah that the people crushed in mourning in their sin, for their sin were encouraged to put aside that mourning for a special day of joy. And we're encouraged with the word, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 Where do we go to look for that joy? The context of the passage above is James communicating to a church on the run. Christians in Jerusalem were facing a great persecution, see Acts 8, which dispersed many of them out of Israel and into the surrounding regions. James is comparing the trials of this life with a steadfastness that will carry believers through to the next life. In doing so, he compares the successes of this life to the flowering grass, which brings to mind Isaiah 40 and his description of what God would accomplish through John the Baptist. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, 3-8. Not only is our flesh as grass, but is it not true of all creation? As beauty, beautiful as things are in this world, they are not made to last but are fleeting. Whether flowers, or people, or stores of hay, or a pocket full of coins, we gather and let go. So what stays the same over time? What endures? Is it not God? The proud of this world, with eyes set downward, wither along with the world they love. And the humble, don't they perish as well? From this world, certainly. But they are raised up in Christ, a gift from the unchanging God. Is this the source of our joy then? The things of this world, that the, the stuff we get from God? Maybe not. Let's look again at what John the Baptist's job was in this world. What was it to do? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Although the road that God sets before us in this world is rough and difficult, there is another road, a road that will not fade away. That is the road between ourselves and God. It has been made clear without barrier. We may look up at the hills that our worldly road winds through and see our enemy is positioned better than ourselves upon the high ground and ask, where does our help come from? But the road from us to God remains open. He is our Father, 
He is our Savior. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 43, 1-3. Is our joy found in what we receive from God? No, but rather in being alongside our Maker, who has cleared the road to Him. In Him is our joy, counted all joy. For although our appointed road in this life is hard, and we may be attacked for simply belonging to God, there is nowhere that the road can take us where He is not. Be steadfast then, and not like the waves of the sea. Do not doubt that he is there. He is there by his sovereign choice. Use the road to him to ask for what you need. He is there, waiting, listening. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him that you may know that he is there, not as one doubting or needing proof, but as one was looking up from their labors to see the one they love. There is no roadblocks, no closures, not even a rumble strip, just the clear road that lies between you and your maker. Rejoice and be glad. So we have two graduates today. Um, I'm going to ask Peter and Lois to come up. They have, uh, they have been a joy to be with. Uh, I'll tell you something. You know, the, the class involves uh, writing a paper on each article of Statement of Faith. Uh, and uh, the, the first few papers are pretty hard to grind out, aren't they, Kelly? <laughs> uh, but you hit a stride after a while. And uh, we, we, don't, we don't put any uh, mandates on how long they need to be. We don't want them to be too long. <laughs> or how short. We're looking for is clarity and understanding. And these two folks have done fantastic work. It, uh, it runs 10 sessions. Sometimes we miss because of calendars and that sort of thing. So uh, we started sometime in early November. We ended last uh, in March or so. But, we, you know, we're here to observe the and commend the work that they've done, the, the effort they've put into this. Uh, Kelly goes to the Church of Christ uh, out uh, by across from uh, the IHOP. Uh, Bob Kalodner is the pastor over there, good man of God and a good friend of mine. Uh, and so it's been a joy to have her with us. And of course, Mark, uh, you just saw what Mark is capable of. And I thought I was blessed by that. I hope you were too. So I'm going to ask Kelly Cheney and Mark Rand to come up. Uh, we have a stole for each of them and an Apollos pin and a certificate. Peter, would you pray for us? I'd like to ask you, Paula. I pray for the for the graduates here. 
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father and our great God, we read in Psalms that you have said, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And again, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Your servants, Kelly and Mark, have been diligent and faithful to read and study your word throughout the Apollos class. Therefore, establish the work of their hands and bring to fulfillment all that you have given them to do in these days. We pray that you would make their way purposeful and their footsteps firm out of your goodness and your love. Give them a heart of wisdom to hear your voice and make them strong by your huge favor and grace. This blessing we ask that you alone would be glorified through these, your two servants, Kelly and Mark. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Congratulations, guys. Let's have, a, let's have a hand for Peter and Lois who've put untold hours in this. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Peter's going to deliver our benediction, but then we're going to ask all the Apollos graduates to come forward so we can get a group picture. All right. Let's end our service with these words from Hebrews. Now being the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Click on the like button below, that little thumbs up icon. If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving and follow the links from there. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.